we do really believe that you know Europe is is in in a in a moment in time which is building these fantastic global businesses, and we've been fortunate to partner with you know a number of those across the continent. Whether that's you know PATH, which comes out of Romania, Wise coming out of kind of Estonia, um, based founders, um, or Sorare in Paris, Plio in the Nordics, and then also you know companies closer to home, such as like Hopin in in, in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. This is the podcast all about growth startups. I'm James Pringle. I'm a technology entrepreneur, investor, and VC at Portfolio Ventures. My co-host is Hector Mason. Hector is a partner at B2B Investor Episode 1 Ventures. This podcast is all about uncovering what it takes to build a unicorn business. We speak to some of the best founders and investors, many from unicorn companies, and ask them about their journey, operational insight, tips, lessons, stories, and anything that can help uncover what it takes to build a high-growth business. This week's episode is with Tom Wilson, partner at Seedcamp. Seedcamp is one of Europe's leading seed funds, identifying and investing early in world-class founders attacking large, global markets, solving real problems using technology. In this episode, we cover what Seedcamp does and how it has evolved, what characteristics they look for in founders, the key to sticking together as a venture capital team, and much more. Let's get started. Hi, Tom. Welcome to Riding Unicorns. Thank you, James Hector, for having me on. Great to be here. Maybe we could just start by getting an explanation of Seedcamp and your investment strategy for those that don't know. First of all, you know, a partner at Seedcamp. Seedcamp, we've been going for, you know, best part of 15 years now. Founded in 2007, we've always been pre-Series A investors. We're usually looking to back the European founders building global businesses. So, you know, what does that mean? The size of checks that we write, usually in the kind of like up to kind of 500,000-ish range, mean that we can act as a lead and we probably act as a lead in, in roughly about three quarters of the deals that we do, where the round size is such that it can accommodate that kind of a lead check. You know, if you're a founder and you're raising usually kind of one and a half million or maybe a little bit higher, we look at that as that's a round that we can lead and we can you know set terms and put things down there and then bring other funds alongside us to fill out that round or other angels. Then when those rounds get a little bit larger, between you know one and a half or two million upwards, then we're also participating in those rounds, but usually we're not leading them because you know of our max check size there kind of structure means that there's going to be another investor who's writing a significantly larger check into that round, so it makes sense for them to lead. But basically, in a nutshell, we're pre-Series A, and that's that kind of starting point. That's where we've built the DNA of Seacamp, that's where our expertise is. We're a sector generalist fund. So you know, we invest across pretty much all, um, all, all sectors provided it's you know, a capital efficient business, but we're very, very stage focused. We're always pre-Series A as an initial point. You know, the last three, four years, or, or perhaps even since you joined, like how, how would you compare Seedcamp then to Seedcamp now? Like what's changed? What do you do differently? What do you feel like you've done really well? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, Seacamp was it kind of started out as an experiment. You know, it started out, is there, is there something to do at that stage in venture in Europe? Because no one else was really doing anything that early. There were some angel investors. There were obviously some, you know, of the most well-known, you know, venture brands, which still exist today, you know, the likes of, you know, Atomico and Index and, and others who, who were investing. But 
it was a very much a smaller kind of ecosystem. And it was a ve- it was the same time, ironically, and it's probably someone we can come on to how, how we fit with them later, that, that Y Combinator was starting over on you know, the West Coast of the US in 2007. So that was kind of the experimental period. You know, Seacamp's first fund was two and a half million um, euros. So to put it in perspective, you know, I think we spoke a little bit before about, you know, the size of some of the seed rounds. So it was like an okay seed round. And that fund was to figure out, okay, can we kind of codify what is happening around angels, what is happening around, you know, VC, but there's this big gap. A number of the LPs in that fund were venture capital funds themselves. And the fund itself was, you know, structured like an investment club. So it's very different from the fund which we have now, which, which I can come on to. So what, what are some of the investments that you did back then on those incredible terms that have gone on to do really well? You know, at the time we were, you know, leading pre-seed investments or early investments into the likes of Wise, into the likes of Revolut. So you can get a sense for the kind of universe of terms which we got into to those companies. With the pan-European strategy and the size of the portfolio and the number of deals that you do, you must see literally hundreds, if not thousands, of founding teams each year. What are the core characteristics that Seedcamp look for in founders and founding teams more broadly? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. I think, um, you know, the stage we invest, obviously, team is just like so, 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 so crucial. I mean, I think it is at every single stage, but I think, you know, where we are, we're not in the business of changing teams at all. You know, we're backing founders and we're working alongside them. So we do spend a lot of time thinking through why this team, there can be fantastic ideas, but ultimately it's going to be the team which probably turns that idea through their execution and their ability to deliver on certain elements of it. And so what, some of the things that we look for, and again, you know, this is something that we we think about and we revise and we discuss and we challenge each other on consistently. But I think there's some things which probably ring true over, over the years that we've seen. I think if you boil down the role of the founding team, it's impossible to, to get away from a couple of elements which need to be present if you're going to go on this kind of venture back journey. And that's probably, you know, someone in that team needs to be able to, you know, raise capital and someone in that team needs to be able to be the person who's kind of in charge of you know, bringing probably the biggest leverage point, which is people, you know, access to world-class talent. So whether that's encapsulated in one person or across a couple of people, it's definitely something that a lens through which we're trying to kind of look at the company and say, right, I mean, if we're incredibly excited about it and we think that, you know, they are the team to go tackle whatever it is they're going to tackle, then that's partly getting us comfortable with the fundraising piece. But equally, we're looking at it and saying, okay, if this company, if we back them now, in nine, 12 months time, or, or whenever the time is that we start to put this company in touch with or in front of you know, our friends at the top tier Series A funds, are they equally going to be as inspired and as enthusiastic about what this founder is pitching as presenting them because of the way they, they can articulate the problem, the, the way that they can kind of like frame the opportunity I think that kind of characteristic is is so important. There's a fascinating article that I have to send to you on Harvard Business Review. I think it's basically titled The Best Leaders Have Positive Contagious Energy. And I, I do think it's a really nice character trait to be able to latch onto as an investor because it's quite visible. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think that the sector they're in and you know, if every single founder came and they were unbelievable presenting and they had this amazing attitude and they can run through walls and they have grit, they have determination, they have a fantastic background. Obviously, every single person in the world is going to want to invest in that company. But certain sectors, those profiles maybe aren't as 
as evident. And I think that in this space where they come more like deeper tech businesses, you know, some of those characteristics are going to be a bit different because, you know, you have to weight things a bit differently. I think, you know, if it's a very, very deeply technical business where the reason this business is going to live or die is going to be on some very, very hardcore IP, then that is going to be probably more important than having, you know, some of the characteristics which we had before. Yeah. That's, uh, sorry. There's, there's, I think the, it's an interesting one because after we had the, after we talked about positive contagious energy, like I was thinking, about lots of founders who've done very well. And I was like, not that many of these have really positive contagious energy. Um, so like, obviously, you know, the, these are all like, the, these are, there are exceptions to the rule always. But I, I'm particularly interested in how you guys kind of scale this because you're making so many decisions, you know, 35 to 50 a year. What, what is the IC process? What's the process for deciding whether or not to invest in a company? Do you get together as partners and say, and vote? Or is there a sort of framework that you score people on and prioritize based on that? What, what's the sort of, what's the hard process that you go through? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. And again, it's something which we've kind of adapted over the years and are constantly looking to evolve. So it's actually something which it's always interesting to hear what other people are doing as well. But over the last, say, 18 months or maybe two years, in reaction to the market, we did have a bit of an overhaul of over our kind of process and mainly driven around how quickly we can get to kept to a decision for, for a number of reasons, you know, one, because we think, you know, founders time during fundraising is just incredibly valuable. And, you know, we want to do everything we can to get founders as quick an answer as possible. Um, so that they can continue getting on with what they really want to do, which is build a business. And then the second one, probably more selfishly was the market. It's just moved at breakneck speeds, not right now, but like over the probably 18 months prior to the last three months or so incredibly fast moving market you know, with these hottest companies, there is actually a requirement to be able to turn around decisions really, really quickly. So with that in mind, the way that we have it now and we designed it is anyone in the investment team can take a, obviously an initial call. We're taking those very, very regularly. We have two deal flow catch-ups a week, one which is more ideally geared around decisions and one which is, you know, reviewing pipeline. We're, I guess, constantly discussing in and amongst those pushing companies or not kind of like through to the next stage. It could be as quickly as, you know, one call with any one of the six of us in, in the investing team. And then if there's high conviction, that company could be pushed to a partner pitch, which just requires ideally all four of us to be on the call and the whole of our investment team. And, and sometimes we'll invite even, you know, venture partners if they've got a specialist area, which is covered by what the company is doing. Post that, you know, there'll be some work obviously pre that and kind of getting everyone up to speed with what the company is doing, you know, sending around notes so that people can come prepared to one of those presentations, which the vast majority obviously still, because we're investing over across the whole of Europe, most of those are still over, over video. And if there is a chance to catch up in person, sometimes it's after that. If they can be in person, that's great as well. You know, we're, we're easy to what works there for the founders. Then post that kind of like final presentation to the partnership, yeah, there'll be a, an element of voting. You know, we've built a kind of voting structure that we use, which touches upon some of the categories we talked about there, which is team, market, product, you know, some, some other areas that just go to market, I think exit values in there and a few other things. And yeah, I mean, like that's pretty much how it works. I think the key for us is having, you know, a lot of transparency, lots of communication with the founders and a structure which allows us to move quickly because the stage we invest, there's not reams and reams of data to get stuck into so i think having something which is built around speed i don't think it creates a challenge with getting towards good decisions i actually think sometimes 
more diligence and more data at that stage can just bring up more questions. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, you know, you, you guys are at a point now where um, you've got a tra- an amazing track record. You've been in a lot of winners. You've delivered consistent returns. And so there must be a temptation to raise a massive fund and to to lead these deals with big checks, take the majority, build big stakes, and ultimately deliver hopefully the same great returns, but on much more money. What is your thinking there? Is it, it'd be very hard to raise a fund that big? Is it that it'd be hard to deploy? So what, what is the thinking there? And is there that temptation? It's true. I think, you know, we could raise significantly more capital over the last couple of years than we have. There's a lot of benefit in being you know, very specific in the stage that you invest. I think that that's something that we speak to about founders where we're you know, trying to compete on deals because whilst we are collaborative and come to that, you know, there are occasions when you are obviously competing with and particularly you know, some of the trends which have happened around like multi-stage funds coming earlier. And we say, look, this is what we do, right? You know, we invest at the kind of pre-series A, we lead pre-seed or we invest at seed or you know, whatever you want to call it. This is the stage which you get to partner with us. And we're not a multi-stage fund which is going to invest if we miss this at A or at B. And there's something nice about that positioning. And I think that, I think there is a cap on the size of fund which you can do that with. I think in European venture, you know, we've modeled this pretty hard. I think as you start to get above like 150 million or, or, or higher, it just becomes with our model, with not taking 20%. So that's obviously a key, key assumption or 15% like some of our kind of friends are. The numbers just get very, very challenging, I think, to, to deliver the kind of enterprise value which, which you want. So I think that's... a very, very strong consideration because ultimately, you know, we're custodians of other people's capital and we want to get to, you know, at least a 3x, but more in the kind of like, you know, 5x plus, which is, you know, historically where, where we've got to in terms of, you know, returns on those funds, which have actually returned capital. So I think that that is a key consideration, just the ultimate returns profile that you're able to achieve and and, and that links into fund size. Really interesting to hear it explained out like that. And you mentioned earlier that the senior team you've kind of all been together now since sort of 2014 and we had Carlos on riding unicorns in season one episode 18 for anyone that wants to go and have a listen the question is what has been the key to you guys all staying together and that retention and the kind of staying aligned and staying together for that long one of the things which you know all the credit goes to Carlos and Reshma on on this and I think how they've built seed camp is you know they've brought a slightly different approach to building a team. They could have hired people who were way more experienced than me, who were like ex-founders and you know, different types of profiles and lots of opportunities to do that. But they've brought on people, I think, who different backgrounds, diverse viewpoints, and have maybe different skills behind the scenes in some ways, and then have like grown throughout their kind of like experience of being more and more exposed to investing. And you know, that's true also, you know, outside of just the four of us in the partnership, but Sia has been a good example of this, who came for our internship, but also um, Felix, who's a you know real star in our investment team, and Kay equally so, both came through our, our internship. And that's, I guess, because we really do want to invest in people in their careers. And I think that has definitely, from my personal perspective, been you know a massive contributing factor to me having a huge amount of respect for Carlos and Reshma because they, you know, they invested in me. You know, they took a chance on me. They brought me into the team as a lawyer who had a passion for this space, but didn't have necessarily a background which went toe-to-toe with you know some of the other people who were investing at that time, but have obviously invested in that relationship and hopefully it's panned out all round. And 
you know, fundamentally, it comes from a position of respect. I've got, you know, a huge amount of respect and time for them as investors. You know, they're, they're incredibly smart. And we each, the four of us, bring something slightly different to the table. And I think that's really important when you think through, you know, working together for a long time. And the other thing, which I think is, again, quite different, I think, you know, it's probably a theme that's run through this podcast, how, how we maybe think through things a little bit differently in Seacamp versus other venture funds is we have a very much a, like a team first mentality. And we, we do kind of walk the walk with that. You know, we don't have a kind of partner attribution model. So whilst there might be companies that SIA works with or, or Rational works with or Carlos works with or I work with or whoever else in the team might work with, we definitely, you know, want to bring the whole power of like us as a collective. And that extends to our venture partners, our entrepreneurs and residents to those companies and don't therefore have each person's little portfolio within the grand scheme of the firm itself. And I think that's been really beneficial for creating an atmosphere where people want to stay, because I think some of the challenges maybe at other firms, obviously I can't speak to that. I've only ever worked in one venture firm, but you hear that, you know, if you have a partner attribution model, obviously it can be fantastic from a, you know, a motivation. I'm sure there's lots of reasons why things have evolved in that way but it also can create quite like an isolated situation. Whereas we have very much like, you know, a, a team first mentality. And that's something that it's not always easy because this is an industry which does want to bring out individuals, but the kind of the driving philosophy for us is it's team first. And I think that's led to us hopefully having a, a good working relationship over eight years. Kind of for my own benefit, it's just thinking about, as you scale the portfolio with a big portfolio, over 400 companies, when do you decide to lean in? So when you're talking to founders and saying, we'll, we'll invest in you, you know, we can help you with these things. You know, each company can't get meaningful partner time when there are 400 companies. So because of the lack of time, I'm just going to ask you to name the two kind of bullet points that you think are the ways in which you can lean in and help companies that raise money from Seedcamp. Yeah, I mean, I think that, Whilst it looks like a very big portfolio, actually the kind of active portfolio is always a lot smaller because if you think that we think of our kind of neck on the line up to series A, and then beyond that, we're still maintaining those relationships, but it's much more us kind of trying to maintain relationships with companies which are doing really, really well so that we're kind of top of mind for follow-on pro rata kind of things versus us needing to necessarily spend time with them because they, they don't need us, right? They're off to the races. But in terms of like, I guess that time that we are active with that kind of defined portfolio the couple of things that we very much think that we can bring value because obviously the founders themselves know much more about their business right they are <laughs> they are the experts of their spaces because that's the reason we back them they know inside out what what they're doing on that side of things but the one area that we do have more expertise across the team is fundraising right you know we whilst a company might do that every i don't know 12 to 24 months or something we're doing it on an almost weekly basis because of the size of the portfolio. So we have, you know, a structured way that we approach fundraising and we make available to the companies that want to tap into that. And we can be very hands-on and spool up teams and make sure that we're making the right introductions, make sure that we're refining the message, the pitch, the whole positioning of the business, and even thinking through the strategy of how much to raise, what the timing should be there, you know, what the right kind of inflection point or momentum point is to go out and start speaking to investors constantly kind of like socializing those type of companies that we think should be on the kind of radar of people at the right time. So that's, I think, something that we do have you know, a huge amount of experience around and it's definitely a massive value add that we bring to the table. And the other piece, 
we have this broad platform support that we've built that encapsulates so much and it's very very focused ideally around that stage of you know, getting to series a but also people tap into it beyond and there are a few kind of core pillars within that you know we have in-house talent support so that's obviously again you know we spoke about some of the key attributes we look for you know being able to fundraise and be able to hire the right people we, we want to supercharge those with some of the stuff I just spoke about on the fundraising side, but also making sure that our companies are really well set up to bring on fantastic talent. So that doesn't mean that we're going to like kind of parachute in, you know, recruitment resources, but we're going to make sure that the founders that we back are well armed in terms of being able to be in the best possible position to, to bring on great people. So that's like, you know, how to run great processes, how to headhunt, how to like get in front of the right talent. And again, you know, even our kind of broader access to kind of mentors or other founders at similar stages, we've built tools that founders can tap into there rather than us having to be like, or us in any way being kind of a blocker to that value being unlocked. So there's all of this kind of wealth of support across the kind of platform or Seacamp Nation as we can call it more broadly, but it's very much like here are the tools, you guys, you know, use them as, as you wish. Yeah, the whole uh, ecosystem has seen that kind of knowledge level of what it takes to build a unicorn go up, which is great. And I'll definitely vouch for uh, how Seedcamp can add value because I'll never forget when Rob Fitzpatrick went over the mum test with us in the office and that was amazing that day. It had a big impact on me personally. So Tom, it's so interesting to hear and uh, we've loved chatting to you. As you know, we like to wrap up our podcast with our dinner party guest game. So if you could have dinner with any three people in history, who would they be for you? So two of these people are actually, funny story, kind of names of the tables at my wedding. But uh, <laughs> So one would be Steve Jobs, probably goes without saying, but brings, I mean, Hector, we were just t- talking before we started, I think design and technology together, seamlessly probably the most iconic and like impressive tech executive slash founder of I don't know, modern times. So I think Steve Jobs would be would be definitely be on there. Next would be a little bit more left field, but I think Serena Williams would be a really cool guest to have on. Because I think she's obviously world-class, probably best ever tennis player, female tennis player of all time. I think that story would be amazing. I think, you know, there's it's been kind of obviously documented of a recent film. I think it's just an incredible story of kind of grit and determination. And then equally quite interesting that she's you know starting to dabble handed to text. So I think her and Steve maybe could have a something to chat about there and obviously has like a family in, embedded in the, the world of text through Alexi Ohanian. So I think that would be, I think she would be an amazing guest to have at, at this fantasy dinner party. And then my third guest, which I'd be very surprised if anyone else has mentioned on this show before would be um, Alan Shearer as a, as a massive Newcastle United fan. Yeah. I mean, he's just a personal hero growing up. I think when Newcastle signed him in 1996 for, then a world record transfer fee, which until very recent times felt like it would never be something we'd get to ever again, uh, you know, to see a local hero come back and obviously achieve loads of the club and become, you know, Premier League all-time record goal scorer. I think, I don't know what he'd have in common with, with Steve, but I'm sure he'd get on and uh, maybe him and Serena could exchange notes. Absolutely. Well, it'd be very interesting. I think Alan Shearer is a unique answer, <laughs> unsurprisingly. But I think we may have had Steve and Serena mentioned previously as well. Well, Tom, thank you so much again for coming on and telling us your riding unicorn story. Seed Camp is a very influential player across the European 
tech ecosystem and a lot of people have a lot to thank Seedcamp for for helping develop the ecosystem to where it is today. So we're super excited to see that continue. And yeah, it's great to hear your version of how that's evolved and developed over the years. So thanks again. But no, thank you for having me on. I think this is a it's a, it's a great show. So it's been an honor to be on. <laughs> great to see you, Tom. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We also have a newsletter called Reading Unicorns, which is another great way to get every episode direct to your inbox. Please tell your friends about it and engage with us on social media. And we'll see you on the next episode.